This is AutoLine Extra, available exclusively on the internet. Here again is John McElroy. Welcome to this AutoLine Extra section with Michelle Krebs from Edmunds.com, Daniel Howes from the Detroit News, and Sean McElindon from the Center for Automotive Research. Uh, Michelle, we were talking on the broadcast version of the show of, you know, how the, the big three, or especially GM and Chrysler, are going to recover, or if they will or not. We got to talk about the dealer side of things. They've broomed out thousands, thousands of dealers and more to come. Doesn't this just open the door for other nameplates, namely foreign nameplates, to come in and pick up some of those dealer points? Absolutely, because remember, business uh, uh, dealers are entrepreneurs, so they're not just going to go away. They're going to find some other business to be in. The other thing I think that you have to look at is where do the customers go? Lots of times, and I know I'm that way, as a customer, I pick a certain dealer because they deliver good service. Almost doesn't matter what the product is. Um, and ex that's exactly what we saw with um, General Motors when it eliminated Oldsmobile. GM thought that all those buyers would go to other GM dealerships. They did not. Actually, they went to Hyundai dealers. So we're going to see a, a shift of where dealers go. We're already hearing about Mahindra from India uh, taking on some of the Chrysler dealers. And where do those customers go to? Yeah, what's your sense of it, Dan? I mean, uh, clearly they had to get rid of dealers. Yeah, and all the dealers even will admit that, too. Yeah, look, they, it, this had to happen. And uh, and there isn't a dealer in the country, a Detroit big three dealer in the country, who didn't know that all of these manufacturers were over-dealered. Um, they also knew, to a person, that in bankruptcy, they were all vulnerable um, and that they really couldn't do anything about it. And a lot of these people were disproportionately in, in large urban areas. Uh, they weren't in the middle of nowhere because, because that, ex that takes away the ability to sell in vast parts of the country. Uh, so they knew, this was, they knew this was coming. Does it offer other people opportunity? Sure it does. But uh, what they had was in these large areas a lot of overlap. I had one dealer tell me, um, I did a column on him. He was in Southern California. He told me that he's a Cadillac dealer. There were, there's 12 million people in Southern California. There are 27 Cadillac dealers. In Pittsburgh, there's 2 million people, and there's 20 Cadillac dealers. And there wasn't a single Cadillac dealer in all of Southern California that got a letter from General Motors, not one. Hmm. So, I mean, you know, this whole notion that it was devastation all over the country just simply isn't true. The guy who lives across the street from me in Dearborn has got dealerships all over the country, didn't get a single letter because they're properly capitalized and they're in the right locations. What's your sense, uh, Sean? Oh, it absolutely had to happen. The overbranding plus the overdealering was a three, three and a half billion dollar cost for GM, um, as large as their legacy cost. How, so. how does that translate into cost for them? I mean, if these dealerships are standalone businesses, cutting them hurts them. How does it add cost? Or well, if you've got, you need five times as many franchises to sell the same number of cars as Toyota, you need five times as many trucks. You know, let's start with transportation and five times as much local advertising share and floor planning, it, it's just a mess. The economies of scale have been proven in metro areas by Honda and Toyota and, and the other makes. Exactly. So out in the rural areas where GM and, and Chrysler still have no competition, very little competition yet from the foreign nameplates, yeah, they kept the little guys. And they're waiting for that terrible day when Hyundai puts up a, puts up a dealership in the, you know, the little Mickey Mouse town. But it hasn't happened yet, so they, they left them alone. But it had to happen. Yeah, it was absolutely necessary. You hear a lot of protests from dealers to say we are, we, are no, we are no cost burden on the manufacturers, and you talk to other dealers and the manufacturers privately, and they'll say that's just simply not true. And I think Sean just 
went through the reasons, and there's a lot of others. You know, there's the staffing and the field staff and, and, and the transportation and the logistics costs, the marketing. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. So, so to suggest that, you know, we're independent businessmen, we're not, it's just not true. And, you, and I mean, I was stunned to hear Mark Lenave say that of the initial 1,100 dealers they were going to get rid of, three to 400 of them sold 35 cars or fewer a year. Chrysler of the majors was selling 303, if I remember right, and Toyota and Honda are north of 11, 1,200 mm -hmm. per outlet. 15, 1,600. Watch the movie Fargo, and you'll see some of the, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one uh, Metro dealer too many there. I, well, now, you if know. you look at the way GM set up Saturn, they did it specifically, so dealers got big territories, and uh, you know it didn't turn out real well, but I mean, the, the idea is, is well, the right The retail one. end of Saturn right. always, always worked well. well. It and was the product side. Right. Right. Or they abandoned it or ignored it for too long. But they didn't do it that way because that wasn't the best way to do it, that's for sure. Well, the other thing that I see in reducing the number of dealers is, really, it limits consumer choice, hmm. which will drive up prices, which will help residual values, which will help the brand image. That's oh. where I see the biggest advantage coming from. I think you're absolutely right. I think that was one of the, one of the key drivers of why, why they needed to do that. They, you hear stories of, of you know five Chevy dealers in a city. They're 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 fighting with each other for customers, and they're trying to undercut them in price instead of competing with Toyota. Right, and then uh, that over time, over time, all that does is 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 uh, tarnish the brand. There were Chrysler dealers that haven't sold a new car in years and expected their allocation of off lease and rental fleet cars for used car sales, and they wouldn't go away. The company got absolutely nothing from them. But I got to believe that Chrysler and General Motors are going to lose market share in this. Yes. I don't see how oh, you can sure broom out these many dealers and, and in GM's case, four brands go by the wayside. Just, and the uncertainty. And I, I, I think one of the flaws in GM's business plan that's been submitted is they're expecting higher market share. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with that. I think, you know, we're clearly moving into, this is going to look very much like Western Europe. Exactly. Uh, where the biggest player, when I used to look at these numbers, was about 18% of Volkswagen. Oh, Volkswagen. And, All right and, 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 then, and then you had, you know, the French in, the, in, in round 15, and then you get into the high single digits and the low double digits, and that's the way it played. Mm -hmm. um, it's a Western European market coming here. That's what's right. coming yeah. here. One slightly dominant player, and then six or seven guys at seven or eight percent that shift around yeah. who's the, the single dominant player now toyota in this market i'm talking i think about. it's a fight between ford and toyota and you're going to watch it happen over the next three years right here in town it's uh it's very exciting that we still got one big player in the game and uh and who would have thought to be the volkswagen of uh, north america what do you guys make of uh, volkswagen saying it's going to sell a million cars here by the middle of next mm. decade delusional <laughs> Why? I mean, There's a decisive tell me, answer. Tell me why. <laughs> well, they're coming. This market is still going to be intensely competitive. Mm -hmm. um, to make that kind of jump from where they are now, uh, I just I don't see it. They got good product, but uh, you know it'll it'll take some time. They also it'll have a history of some very bad service and some bad product quality, so that they have to overcome just as Fiat does. So. Mm -hmm. I, I I I think. The future is bright for Volkswagen and Audi in the U.S. market, but to say that they're going to go to a million in sales is, uh, it strains credulity, at least sitting here in 2009 and, and looking out where things are going. Right. I mean, you could see incremental increases, but not that kind of a jump. Well, we'll all have to watch 
how it goes. But we ought to wrap up this extra segment. So, Michelle Krebs, thanks so much. Daniel Howes, you too, and Sean Macklin, and really uh, love having you guys on the show. Thank you.